Thursday Finance Today on 2NURFM. And Stephen Pritchard is here. As I said, Stephen, we are going to be talking about starting a small business. Um, is small business on the increase at the moment? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of people are, uh, seem to be seem having this dream of starting a small business and particularly they want to get out of the corporate uh, corporate life and they pick up magazines such as Australian Country Style and, you know, think they're going to live the dream. But it's, it's, it's really a lot more work than a lot of people think or, you know, they go, they want to open a cafe. So every time I turn around, there's a new cafe opening. I, mean, I noticed another one opened in Hamilton the other week as if we didn't have enough cafes. But, you know, and they seem to be making these small ones now that sell coffee. So anyhow, I thought we'd have, have a talk about starting a small business and 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 you know, if you buy a cafe or if you start a cafe, you don't get to stand there sipping coffee with the customers. Max, <laughs> you've got to work, and it's actually hard work in a cafe. Mm. Personally, I wouldn't buy own a, a cafe, but there's a lot of work in long it. hours too. Long think. hours, a yeah. lot of work, yeah. um, and keeping everybody happy. And, yeah, there's lo- lots of margins in a cup of coffee. Uh, a big profit margin, but you've got to sell a lot of cup of coffees at four dollars a week. Four dollars a coffee to to pay your thousand dollars a week rent. Yes, you do yep. indeed. Yeah, and so we'll talk about that. Everything else, good. And in the meantime, what's happening with currencies and commodities? Um, the gold, the gold price was down about one point four percent on the week to sixteen hundred and thirty one dollars an ounce. Uh, the copper price was up three percent to eight thousand nine hundred eighteen dollars a ton, and the crude oil price was up two point four percent of the week to seventy four dollars and fourteen cents a barrel. Um, the currencies, the Australian dollar was up a bit again to uh, 78.47 cents as of close yesterday. Uh, we're up against the Great British Pound of 59.4 pence and we were up against the euro to 66.51 euro cents. Um, the all ordinaries market is uh, was up yesterday and is up again this morning. We, we might get to 6,000 surprisingly. Really? Yes, yes. And um, that will be the first time in 10 years we're at 6,000. Really? So it's $5,966.30 uh, yesterday, which was up. Uh, 1.7% on the week. Uh, the S&P index was pretty much steady at, five, at 2,561. And the UK index was pretty much steady as well at 7,542. Um, some local stocks or in stocks local investors seemed to like. Um, BHP was up 1.4% to $26.58. Uh, CBA was up 3.2% to $78.86. And NIB, um, after their rights issue and some health fund reforms the government's announced, was up 2.1% to $6.14. And, and Telstra was, uh, after the uh, uninspiring chairman's address at the AGM, Telstra continued to fall down to $3.47. I think Henry said we're going to see a two in front of that at one stage. Ooh. I think he said that, yeah. I thought they were actually um, starting to turn the business around a bit. No. Well, not okay. by the results. Okay. Well, always look at the results not, if you want my, to make a statement and like that. And not by my recent dealings with them. The, right. You just can't get anything done. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah, anyhow, we haven't got any accounts with them anymore, so that's mm. good. Uh, Newcastle fuel prices, uh, $1.22.6, uh, the unloaded price in Newcastle, which is uh, the same as last week, and $1.34.2 in Sydney, and the diesel is $1.25 a litre and $1.27 in Sydney. Time for our market update with Henry Jennings, Senior Commentator with the Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. Henry.
Stephen, hi, how are you? Good. Are you, you, you celebrating the 30-year anniversary of Black Tuesday, eh? Um, well, I will be celebrating tomorrow. I have a lunch with some of the survivors, and I did write a piece this morning for our newsletter on what, um, what I experienced 30 years ago, which was, um, which was a time of uh, tumultuous excitement, panic, adrenaline, and all sorts of other emotions. So which stock exchange floor were you, were you on? I was a options trader on the London Stock Exchange floor for a oh. small jobbing company called Smith Brothers, which later got taken over by Merrill Lynch. Yes. And I had a wonderful crash, yes. I think. We made an awful lot of money. Yes. Um, but um, it wasn't to last very long. The, um, the whole world kind of, no, I wouldn't say the world changed, but business dried up and uh, it just got much tougher for the next two years, which is why I came to live in Australia. Oh, we're grateful for the crash then, Henry. So We've got one good thing out some, of it. Some more bad came out of the crash. No, no, no. no. Me, me emigrating from London to, uh, to come and live in Sydney. Oh, well, that's all right. So mm. where, where are you going celebrating on them? Tomorrow? Um, I'm, it is a big lunch. I think the Australian Stockbrokers Foundation is oh, okay, throwing okay. a big lunch tomorrow for charity. Okay. okay. Yes. Okay. Well, that'll go all day. Uh, yeah. Kick off at 12. I don't expect finish, um, we'll get out. Finish no at one, 12. No one will get out alive, as Jim Morrison once said. Finish at 12. Okay. So, um, IWF, uh, IWF, speaking some sensible stuff here now. IWF, yep. hopefully this is sensible. IWF has acquired ANZ's wealth management business, so ANZ's simplifying its bank. Um, yeah, ANZ under, um, new, well, not that new anymore, Shane Elliott, the new, the newish CEO, has been, uh, trying to sell its wealth management business. IWF has bought it, uh, nearly a billion dollars. There's also a few sort of partnerships and tie-ups. Um, and the market seems to have liked the deal, actually. Um, it had a bit of a spurt um, the other day um, on the back of it. But, um, yeah, it's holding up quite well. It's, it's now, uh, it did a, a big placement to fund um, part of the deal um, at $10.60. They raised $460-odd million, so that's sort of half the purchase price. Um, so at the moment, the market seems to have given it a tick of approval. It puts um, IWF in, in another sort of another step up in terms of wealth management products. So, yeah. So, are they going to do an offer for retail investors? Uh, For the placement, I think there is an SPP. I'm sure there is. They don't miss you. No, 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 no. no. (laughs) If they can help it. Yes, yes. Get the money. Take the money while it's on offer. Exactly. That's what you need to do. People littered with not taking the offer, not taking the money when it's on offer, and when they want it, they can't get it. Yeah, so BHP, BHP's talking about um, the the demand for nickel is going to increase on the on the expectation that there's going to be a demand for all these batteries. Well, this this is the um, this is the story, I guess. This is this is a change that has been equated by some commentators to a similar change from going to horse and buggy to cars back in the early twentieth uh, century. Um, the the switch from uh, petrol combustion engines and diesel combustion engines to electric vehicles. And, of course, electric vehicles consume an awful lot of uh, batteries, and this is what's been driving the lithium price. This is what's been driving the rare earth price, cobalt, and, of course, nickel as well, which is another one of the metals that is needed in these batteries. And BHP has a nickel project in Western Australia, which they have been uh, sort of umming and ahhing about whether they expand or not, but now they're starting to, to push 
uh, push ahead with expansion as they do see um, good demand for nickel on the back of these electric vehicles. And if you think about now, unfortunately, Australia, we have been completely left behind in this whole debate. Um, where um, I think we sell one, 0.1% of our car sales every year are electric vehicles. Um, bearing in mind that in some countries uh, will be completely electric vehicles sales uh, by 2025. China is uh, heading that way as well. Um, so, yeah, we, it's, a, it's a big thing in Europe. It's a big thing in parts of the US. Um, but we don't seem to have um, really grasped the metal here, one of our... Um, problems, I guess, with leadership, but anyway, don't get me started on that. Yeah. But anyway, BHP, I'm looking to expand the nickel operation, so yeah, good news for BHP, I guess. So have you got an electric vehicle, Harry? No. 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 I had a scale electric vehicle. Ah, oh, we all had one of those as kids. They were very cool. Yeah, they're very cool. Okay, <laughs> yeah. We, yes, a little racing track race. Anyhow, um, something else is being uh, uh, coming out from the UK as well. Debenhams, the UK department store, is opening in Melbourne next week, which is... Uh, yeah, I couldn't believe it. No, you'd think. Um, yeah, I mean, Debenhams is hardly a. You know, it's it's a bit of a, a down. It's kind of a second tier kind of department store in the UK. You've got Harley Nicks and you know those sorts of uh, stores and John Lewis and and those things. And, and Debenhams, I guess, has tried to reinvent itself in uh, in the UK, um, and it's coming here to try and unveil the future for Australian department stores. There's going to be a whole new way of shopping. Um, yep, okay. We will hold uh, half the volume of stock and a curated range of exclusive brands. Oh. Uh, step up in service and retail technology. Oh, okay. Right, two years max. They'll be gone. Yeah, I, I would have thought if you were going to come out here, you'd want to go an upmarket department store. Harrods would Harrods work, probably. Well, I, you know, I think there's, there's two ways to go. In, I'm no expert in retail, but there seems to be two ways to go. One that, which has been very successful is to have uh, trash fashion yeah. um, and, you know, throwaway fashion yep. and, and target kids and teenagers and something like, you know, you know look at the Visa, um, H&M, Zara, all this sort of stuff. It's kind of, it's almost disposable fashion. It's, it's pretty cheap. It comes in, it looks great for a few times, and then you chuck it out because something else has come in um, that's better. It doesn't, so it's not, not meant to last. It's not meant to become classic. So that seems to be the way to go. I don't know if Debenhams is going to be in that vein, but you would think we have two big retail department stores at the moment which seem to be um, mm-hmm. struggling. Um, and Maya has obviously got some, um, some UK connections. I think Richard Umber's um, is uh, POM. So you'd think they'd have gone overseas and had a look at what other people are doing. I thought, you know, we can do that, or we can't do that. And then Debenhams comes and goes, well, we can do, we can do it better. So I'm pretty sceptical on this one, but anyway, good so, luck, Melbourne. Well, the other thing that's come from the UK at the moment seems very popular is that PIMS number one cup. It seems to be everywhere, Henry. Oh, does it? I haven't, um, I haven't seen it around that much, but um, I have had the pleasure of PIMS number one cup. Uh, in the UK many times, and I have to say I, I, I quite like it. The problem with PIMS is that it's devious and dangerous because it, it tastes a bit like red lolly water. Yes. And you usually have lots of fruit in it, so it feels like you're being healthy. And yes. in England they serve it by the pint at Wimbledon and other by places. The pint. They do. You can get a half a pint or a pint of PIMS. And by the time you've had two pints on a hot day, 
you basically passed out in the, in, uh, on, the, on the grass. But it goes with Wimbledon, doesn't it? <laughs> well, they're so. selling it pre-mixed at Dan Murphy's on special. That's how I found it. Uh, okay, well, well, pre-mixed is probably a better way to go. When we had it in the UK, you had a bit of ginger beer, lemonade, pims, and just to give it a bit of a rev up, you can put some more vodka in it as well. Oh, sounds lovely. Yeah, it was so, lovely. So, especially <laughs> fashion. Especially fashion, that's not so lovely. The results, no, is it? <laughs> I mean, this has got to be... The daggiest brands in the entire universe, entire Miller's, Katie's, City Chic, and Rivers. Um, you know, in a world of tough retailing, those brands really do stand out as a tough, um, a tough one. And their, their results, um, their warning that um, basically their underlying EBITDA is going to be half what they thought it was going to be. They're really struggling um, to get any traction. Um, and, um, you know, it's really not going well. I, I was actually surprised that um, when I looked at the share price, how low it has gone, because I haven't really looked at this one for a while. But, you know, it, it's, um, it's, a scary, it's a scary chart. It doesn't look good. So, um, you know, it's 20-odd cents, I think. No, it's 20 now. 20 and a half cents. Mm. I would suspect that at some stage the Grim Reaper is going to come calling for this one. Then it goes zero. Well, it's only market cap now is thirty nine million. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I really, yeah, can't see a great mm-hmm. outlook for this one. I'm afraid. Yes, and then Brambles. The 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 board of Brambles narrowly escaped the uh, Grim Reaper at the AGM with the shareholders all upset and wanting to vote down the remuneration report and other yeah. things. I, I, you know, I, I get puzzled with these whole this strike one, strike two, strike three thing with remuneration reports because usually by the time that the board's been warned that their, you know, their remuneration report is out of step with with, with reality, you know, it's two years down the track and everyone's kind of moved on. They've they've sucked from the from the trough for another mm-hmm. two years of, of nice things and then they change their ways or they move on to the next company. So I'm always a bit skeptical about this. But Brambles did um, did uh, sort of escape with their uh, from by the tips of their fingertips and also they did provide a trading update as well which was which was mildly positive as well so that <coughs> i guess that helps them um in some respects and um, certainly it helped the uh, the marketplace and so i guess shareholders were a little bit happier about that but they seem to be doing better in europe uh u.s still seems to have some issues but uh europe seems to be going quite well so um, stock has recovered from its lows but um got a long way to go back to get back to sort of its um, former blue chip status glory. Yes, because it started up here. Um, up here? In Newcastle. Oh, did it? Yeah, Walter Bramble used to row um, uh, meat from the butchers out to the boats in the harbour. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. There you go. And Walter Bramble was also a founder of the Newcastle Stock Exchange. Ah, which you are intimately yes, involved yes. with. Yes, so anyhow... The uh, SEC is uh, taking action against Rio and some of its executives. Yeah, this is not a good look. Um, no. <laughs> Rio, um, some years ago, I think back in 2011, um, bought a coal project in Mozambique called Riversdale. Um, and they paid a lot of money for it. And from the word go, it kind of became pretty obvious that they may have paid the wrong price, especially when the Mozambique government said, you know what, you can't put your coal on a barge and send it down the river. We're not going to allow that. That's too environmentally problematic. Um, Rio raised $3 billion U.S. billion to, uh, to part fund this purchase, 
and uh, the SEC now have charged um, one of the former, um, well, the former CEO and uh, one of the other former executives with basically misleading the market because their argument is that they knew all along that this project was not worth what they paid for it. They covered it up and still rose, raised the money uh, in the U.S. Um, to, uh, to pay for it and, and, and basically didn't satisfy their continuous disclosure requirements. So it's not a great look. Um, Rio's been um, sort of cast with a few aspersions and allegations about um, backhanders and, and other things. So, um, and, of course, it, it comes down to sort of the, the money laundering and all this sort of stuff. It's just not a, not a nice look. So, um, yeah, and, and Rio were, were pretty much flying high up to this point. So mm-hmm. maybe we're going to see a little bit of negative sentiment creeping. But good news, if there is any good news in this whole um, thing, is that the executives are no longer there. Um, well, I thought the good news was that the SEC was going after the executives instead of just the, the company for a change. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's kind of nice. I, it also is, um, a, there's, there's a long bow you could draw because there's a whole host of companies that have raised money in the U.S. as well and then subsequently had to have um, um, written down the value of their assets. BHP springs to mind. Mm-hmm. They, they, they um, raised some money when they bought Petrohawk for $20 billion, which they've now written down to... Um, you know, not not very many, not much mm-hmm. at all. Um, so um, it may be that Rio aren't Robinson Crusoe here, and that mm-hmm. maybe we will see a more aggressive SEC, emboldened by this move, um, start to um, charge other um, corporates mm-hmm. and executives. Mm-hmm. You never know. Might you never happen. know. Probably won't. And so if people want to read about your reminiscence of the uh, Great Crash, they can read it in your newsletter? They can. I'm, I'm doing a... Marcus, my, um, my, my boss, did one today about his memories of, uh, of 1987, and I'm, I'm doing one tomorrow about mine from a different perspective. So um, it's uh, marcustoday.com.au. You can sign up for a free trial and, uh, as they say, read all about it. Okay. Well, have a good lunch tomorrow, Henry. Thank you, Steve. Uh, hope oh, you're well, back I'll by try, next try, Thursday. Try to avoid the pims. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I've never heard it being drunk by the pint. I'll have to ask the, the Dan Murphys, do they sell enough to make a pint? Oh, you obviously haven't mm. been to Wimbledon. No, I haven't been, Henry. <laughs> no. Okay. Memories. okay. Stephen Pritchard, it's time to think about small businesses. Yes, Jane. So, as so we said, is there lots to think about? Oh, there's lots to think about. And as we said earlier, a lot of people are looking at going into small businesses and, and a lot of people have these unrealistic, dreams or expectations so small businesses can be rewarding but they're they're also a lot of work and so Mm -hmm. some of the things you need to think about um is um first of all you need to think about you might have this good idea or what you think is a good idea but you need to identify is there actually a demand for these goods and services you're planning to sell so what's a good way of doing that well you know you can you, you can ask your friends um you know if you really want to get scientific, you can go down the street and ask a few people, um, are they going to buy these things? Or or if you're in the same industry, um, you might have some insight there. But but you need to do at least some preliminary work and, and make sure that, you know, you, you might have invented the best possible widget in the world, but if no one wants to buy it... Um, you're not going to make a profit. It's not going to make a profit. And then then you need to look around at your competitors. I mean, there's most most small businesses have got competitors. There's large competitors, there's small competitors, and you need to look around those competitors and you need to think about what your advantage is above those competitors. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Do you have a better product or services? Um, Can you you, 
can you deliver them cheaper? And, and price isn't always uh, price is not always, despite what people think, is not always what people decide to buy things on. Okay. Right. I mean, I mean, I I chose our uh, home MBN, our home telco company, because the call center was in Australia. And, and I have to pay $5 a month more. So, And they're getting plenty of business, and I suspect because the call center's in Australia. So people don't always select on price. So mm-hmm. price should be a secondary thing, and most people, unfortunately, concentrate on that first. So you need to think about what your competitive advantage is. Is your services better or more efficient? Have you got a, have you got a better product? And then perhaps look at price. And then... Location is also important. I mean, depending what what you want to do, you know, if if you're a, if you're a retail, a normal retail business, and retail is particularly tough, you need to think about where your location is and what sort of traffic flow you need. Does your business going to depend on a high volume, um, small margin thing? So that that means you need a lot of traffic going past the past the shop. Um, or, or is it a more a boutique type thing that, that people will travel to? And the same business will do um, different in different locations. For example, a business that works in Market Town, shopping centre, you know, might not work at all out at Lambton. You need mm-hmm. to think about you know, where your customers are from, how your customers are going to get there, and what your customers are going to buy. Now, is it a good idea to place your business somewhere where there are like businesses around? Uh, that, 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 that can be a, a plus and a minus, right? So, so if, if there's, for example, a good, good example is restaurants. Yeah, restaurants tend to do better if there's other restaurants around because what happens, the restaurants, people go to the, you know, they go, they go down to the restaurant today and they want to go to the Thai restaurant and the Thai restaurant's full and they spot the German restaurant over the road and they think, oh, we haven't been to the German restaurant. And then while they're in the German restaurant, they might see that there's a Chinese restaurant open down the road. So, so like businesses, to a certain extent, um, will attract each other and will attract more businesses. But at the same time, if you, if you go to a business that basically sells um, almost the same thing, um, so for example, a news agent, I wouldn't have thought that opening a news another news agent 100 metres down the road where you're going to sell basically the same goods and services isn't going to attract you any more customers. Mm, so some things, yes, some La- things. Location, yeah, locations are important, and, and particularly on the type of business and, and, and how you're going to get there. Uh, what about the business being structured? You have to think about that in advance too. Yeah, there's a lot of issues with that. I mean, um, you know, how your business can structure, you basically got four, four kind of ways you can do it. You can operate as a sole trader, you can operate as a partnership, um, a company or a trust structure. Um, and, you know, you need to you need to think about that as well because um, if you want to change structure down the track, it can become more expensive um, and, you know, there's types of tax issues and in some cases regulatory issues about what structures you can and you can't use for your particular type of business. So mm-hmm. you need to get some get some thought and get some advice on that as well. Okay. So there's nothing really, really easy that you can there's say. Nothing, there's nothing easy about better. starting a small business, you know. <laughs> okay. And then, of course, there's licenses and regulations that yeah, you've got to comply with. Yeah. Well, various, some businesses need licenses. Um um, to operate, um, you, you can bet somewhere along the line you're going to have to apply to the council for uh, development approval or something. 
you mm. can just bet on. And then if you've got food, there's food standards you need to comply with. And if your business is like real estate agents, there's licensing requirements and accountants, there's licensing requirements you have to comply with. So you need to do a fair bit of work if you need to get a bit of advice on this, if you, if you, particularly if you haven't been in that type of business before, mm. you need to get some advice because you're going to find yourself, mm-hmm. you, you know, and unfortunately... The, the the regulators and the people who require licenses generally aren't too sympathetic. They just like to send, issue you the fine, <laughs> so you know, or shut you down. You know, we had, we had this example in Beaumont Street that these businesses have been trading for years till to to two or three o'clock in the morning, and for some reason the council went back through the old DAs issued in nineteen ninety and told them they could only trade to ten o'clock at night. Suddenly, mm. yeah, suddenly, mm. yeah. So you know, you know, you need to take a to, to to check that out and make sure there's licensing and zoning requirements. And council zoning requirements can be quite strict. I mean, you, you might not be able to open the business you want in the area you want. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah. And of course, you need to look at the financial side. This is most important. You know, you know, the business has to make a profit. Otherwise, you know, a why are you there, and and b you won't be there for long unless it's making a profit. Mm. Um, and, and neither will your bank account balance. Well, your bank account balance won't be there. Yes, the bank account balance will disappear. Mm. Quick, smart. So you need to do a budget. You need to work out what you've got to sell to to make a profit, or or how much revenue has to come in. And you need to be realistic. And you need to you need to think about you know it would be unusual that that you opened a new business um and the the people are going to be queuing up at the doors on the first day so you need to have a period of time where the thing's going to ramp up and 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 you're going to expect to lose generally you're going to expect to lose money in the first six months or so okay Uh, is there a general guide as to what time a business should start to cover its costs well amazon's never made any money from their retail business okay so yeah so so unfortunately not all of us can just keep raising money from investors so Mm. so um you know you you, well you've got to make sure it, it covers its costs before you run out of money Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, so you need to do a budget and be a re- expect reasonably expect reasonable expectations on your revenue side. Yes, because uh, at the beginning, of course, you don't know what your revenue is going to be, but you've got to work. And I suppose a kind of advertising or promotional promotion. plan should be part yeah, of your that's, business that's plan right. as well. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, various people need to spend different amounts. I mean, you know, you know if you're in a, a reasonable traffic area, um, where you've got people walking past the, the, your retail business past the shop and you've got some unique product, um, um, you, you know, you might need to spend much on advertising. But conversely, you're going to pay a lot mm. more in rent. I mean, the yes. shopping centre rents are quite large and you're paying for the traffic flow going past mm. them. Yes. So, you know, it all, Lots all, to think all, about. all depends. Our advice is good. And thank you, Stephen Pritchard. That is a Thursday Finance coming to an end today and you'll be back next um, Thursday. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.